Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Talos Takes. This is Jonathan Munshaw. I am joined by Chris Neal from the Talos Outreach team. Thanks for coming on, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. The reason I'm having you on this week is because we recently wrote about a month-long Avos Locker ransomware attack that you helped dissect and write about for the blog. Today, I just kind of wanted to take some time to talk to you about the specifics of that campaign and what other organizations and potential targets can take away from our findings. So first, let's talk about Avos Locker's history. Where did this group kind of come from, per se? And do they have any like particular calling cards or anything like that that makes them particularly unique? Yeah, so Avos Locker was originally identified, I think it was back in July of 2021, uh, although I think activity had been seen since the month prior, so around June of 2021. And like a lot of other ransomware groups, they operate under the affiliate model. So they go on forums and recruit affiliates and then get people to work with them and they split whatever proceeds they get from their campaigns. Originally, they only targeted Windows machines, but it since started targeting Linux as well. So for their typical calling cards, uh, the initial vector is usually spam and phishing. But in this case, we identified that they had actually exploited a, a VMware Horizon UAG or Unified Access Gateway that was vulnerable to Log4Shell. Regardless of the initial vector, uh, once they have access, they will typically drop several different tools, both legitimate and malicious. They typically will drop things like Cobalt Strike. And then on the legitimate software side, they, they actually use AnyDesk quite a bit and a PDQ deploy and a specific network scanner called SoftPerfect Network Scanner. And they use that to kind of poke around the network and you know try to move around laterally. In, in this particular instance, we actually observed them dropping Sliver as well, which is a uh, an open source backdoor written in Go. So they've been kind of evolving over time and you know trying new tools and then seeing how that works for them. So this, for this particular post, what were some of the major takeaways that were in this campaign? Were there any like, major lessons that stood out to you or anything like that? Yeah, actually, there, there's a couple here. Um, in, in this particular instance, we wrote about the uh, security pl- appliances on the network were never actually set up. They were purchased, put on the network, but never actually configured. So I think one of the big takeaways here is that when you get appliances, make sure that they're set up in the way that you need them set up. Even if it's a basic setup with just kind of an out-of-the-box setup, it, it's really important to get things going. Um, once you got it on the network. And another takeaway is vulnerability management. The, uh, the, the VMware UAG was still vulnerable to Log4Shell, which, you know, it's, it's been around a long time and there was ample time to get this patched, but it was still wasn't patched. If that uh, UAG wasn't vulnerable, then I, I don't think this attack would have gotten to where it, where it did. And another particular point that I wanted to ask you about Two is the use of living off the land binaries, which we call lulbins for short. It, it's been a while since I've talked about them on the show, but I'll link in the show notes to a previous episode where I covered this topic in general. Can you kind of give me, though, like a refresher on what lulbins are and how this particular attacker uses them to their advantage? So lulbins are legitimate binaries on a system that can be abused in a malicious context, typically during post-exploitation. So once there's already a foothold, they'll use these to um, either 
escalate privileges a, to bypass security measures like AppLocker or um, to even download secondary payloads from an external source. For example, during this particular incident, uh, they abused the WMI provider host to run an encoded PowerShell script to download a secondary file. So it's a pretty common technique. There's plenty of lol bins being discovered as time goes on, but it's it's a pretty pretty effective way to get around certain security measures for some attackers. Yeah, so kind of the whole point is that basically attackers could use these to remain undetected, right? Because it just looks like a normal process running on the, the targeted machine. Yeah, so essentially they're masking their actions by using a legitimate either Windows binary or another uh, piece of software that that user might have on their computer. So what are some ways then that uh, potential targets might be able to uh, detect the use of lull bins? Because to me then, some of those things sound like processes that you kind of need to keep your your machine or your network operating normally. So it may not necessarily be feasible to just straight up turn them off altogether or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely kind of a a difficult thing to deal with sometimes. Uh, But there's several things that can be done. The most critical and immediate solution is implementing EDR on your endpoints. Uh, That'll detect a lot of lull bins and uh, the usage of lull bins. Um, There's a few other things you can do, uh, like utilizing a whitelist of approved binaries that a given user can run. Uh, There's a concept of least privileges, uh, least privilege that's really helpful here. And essentially what you're doing is allowing the minimum access a user needs to do their job. So for instance, most users don't need to be able to run PowerShell, but a network admin will or something along those lines. So you can lock down PowerShell for everyone except the necessary admin accounts or whoever needs to use it. So it's really important to determine who needs what and to make sure to discuss it with your users and admins to understand what everybody needs to do their job. Uh, There's things like AppLocker and Exploit Guard on Windows, which can be really helpful for locking this stuff down. So it's definitely worth looking into if uh, you're concerned about Walden's. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about this group as a ransomware as a service group. Because that's something that that general, I don't know, industry, I put that in air quotes, has kind of been growing over the past couple of years now where ransomware groups are switching to this model. And I kind of just want to check in around that general model of threat actor right now, because there are so many ransomware as a service groups out there. How does one, like if you're out there, hypothetically speaking, like recruiting new members or trying to grow as a threat actor, what are some things that, that we're seeing happening on the threat landscape right now to differentiate one ransomware as a service group from another, especially trying to like recruit new members? In, in this kind of, in this world, I, I think reputation is a big, a big component of how an affiliate chooses to work, chooses a, a group to work with. Reputation of success or how well they're known in that community the, the kind of targets they go after. There's a lot of factors on, on reputation within between these groups and stuff like that. So affiliates may use those factors to determine who they you know want to try to be an affiliate with, or uh, it could be as simple as you know if an affiliate gets paid more with this group or they get paid less with this group. So I, I think there's both a reputation component and a monetary component when they choose who they go with or or a Who's the most trustworthy in regards to getting your money? Are they going right. to, you know, split with your money, or are they actually going to cut it with you? So I, uh-huh. I think there's a lot of factors here that uh, that go into that. 
and obviously again they're trustworthy also also yeah quotes, obviously yeah big air quotes <laughs> all right awesome well thanks so much for your time chris uh talking about this i appreciate it and i hope you have a good weekend you too thanks for having me